Well, you know, everybody has a story, and everybody has a bad story. All of us do. We all have a bad story. Even Peter, who who has written First Peter, has a bad story. He has a big backstory, and maybe some of you are really familiar with some things about him. But I want to spend a little time before we jump in to the book of First Peter. We're only going to look at few verses, three verses, even though we have that down for next week too, but I'm going to look at a few verses, um, and we're going to talk about this book of First Peter, but first we want to know about the guy who actually wrote this book. So anybody know anything about Peter? Just anything you know, a little fact, any anything you can throw out about Peter? Fisherman. He was a fisherman? Good. Jesus gave him his name. Jesus gave him his name, right. What was his name? I don't know what it was before, but... His name was Simon, because when you hear Simon Peter, that wasn't like his first last name, first middle name. It was like his his original name and his name given to him by God, by Jesus. Peter. Good. Anything else you know? Okay. He he was known to have be very strong will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. He had a mother-in-law. He did have a mother-in-law. How do we know that he had a mother-in-law? That's good. Yes, Jesus healed his mother-in-law. That was one of his um, first miraculous experiences with Jesus. So good. So as you said, his name was originally Simon, and he was from Bethesda. But later on, he moved to Capernaum, and he was a fisherman, like you said. And he he had a very lucrative fisherman um, what was the word I was like? Business. That's the word I was like. A lucrative <laughs> business. Thank you. Sounds like. And um, he was in business with his partners, actually, were James and John, who were two of the other 12 disciples. He was one of the 12 disciples. He was part of the inner circle of disciples. Um, and in fact, Jesus often asked Peter some really probing questions about Jesus' identity. Mm-hmm. Peter was often the one that he would say, Peter, what do you say about this? You know, who do people say I am? That that was a really big question. And and then he would he would tell Peter things like, "Hey, you only know that because the Holy Spirit's revealed mm-hmm. that to you." And what I love about this his encounter, initial encounter with Jesus is Jesus sees Peter. His name is Simon. And the minute he sees him, he says, "Your name is Peter," which comes from which means rock. And when remember when Jesus ends up going ascending into heaven and he restores Peter, we're going to talk about that a little bit, but he, he tells him, remember, you are Peter, on my, on my rock, you, I will build my what? Church. Yes, and his name actually kind of means chip off the old block, like a little rock. Like he's a rock, like Jesus is the big rock, and he's mm-hmm. kind of like the little rock. And he had this significant identity about him. <coughs> and even though Peter had a lot of zigs and a lot of zags in his life before before Jesus um, went, was ascended into heaven and after, even though those things happened, do you know what never changed? His name? Mm-hmm his identity, his call. Mm -hmm. It's a really good word for us. Mm -hmm. It's a really good word for us when we think about our backstory. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk about Peter a little bit and his backstory is that a lot of times we are living life based on our backstory. Mm -hmm. And we are choosing to take our backstory and bring it into our present story. Mm -hmm. And not that there's anything wrong with the things that you can learn from your backstory, But I want you to know that your history, who you were, what you did, does not define who you are and where you're going. And the important thing about Peter that I really, really love about when it comes to his identity is that no matter what Peter did or didn't do, Jesus never changed his identity. This is a really good word for us. Our identity does not ever change based on our behavior. We're either behaving in conjunction with our identity, we are actually acting like our identity, like who we are. Is this making sense? Or we're living out of our identity, or we're acting like we're we're behaving in ways that does not align with our identity. And that's really important for us. And one of the things that I hope, when we think about this living hope, in Jesus Christ, that we end with at this end of the semester. I always talk about semesters because 
even though I'm not in school anymore. It's like, you know, it's fall semester, girls. That's just what it is. School starts and it's the fall. It's always going to be the fall semester. And then after January, it's going to be, or after December, will be the spring semester. So what I hope that we end with at the end of this fall semester is that we understand on a greater level what our identity is in Christ and what this hope is that he has brought forward for us. The hope that God has given us. A couple more things about Peter. Um, he was impetuous. He was bold. Sometimes he was really rash. Remember that Jesus starts walking on the water and the disciples are in the boat and Peter sees Jesus and of all the disciples, he's the only one that's like, I want to come to you. And he steps out of the boat, right? He's like, he's like got faith and guts and he just kind of goes for it. Even sometimes he goes for it and it doesn't turn out so well. <laughs> What I love about that and what encourages me about that is that God uses, and I don't even like to use the word use, God allows the vessels like that to be part of the growth and the flow and the advancement of his kingdom. See, Peter was never perfect. I don't know about you. But I would venture to say, if you're female, because it kind of is the way our culture operates, but there's kind of that when you're born, there's a sign that gets hung around your neck that says things like perform, perfection, you know, meet everybody else's needs, make everybody else happy. Anybody ever ever given into those signs that have been hung over you? Yeah, those declarations we call them. And what my hope is, is as we understand our identity and that we understand that our identity, like Peter's, never changes, even though our behavior may waver. See, what happens is we think, oh, I blew it, so now my identity has changed. Now what God has determined and he's planned and he's desired for me, what he has said about me, now that's somehow changed because of my behavior. I'm not saying we can't choose to walk away Contrary to what God desires for us, we can. We have a free will. We can make that choice. But it never changes who we are in Christ. Never changes who we are in Christ. Because who we are in Christ is we're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. That's a one-time final deal. Now we're in the process called sanctification, which really is a big word for understanding who we really are. That's what sanctification really means. It's not that we're just becoming who we really are. It's really that we already are that person, and we're learning to be able to live within the identity that God has already placed over us. See, Peter, the identity was, this is who you are. You're Peter. You're not Simon. You're Peter. Maybe your God-given name was Simon. Maybe your God-given declaration was shy. Maybe, not your God-given, but your people gave you a declaration of shy, or maybe... People gave you a declaration of, <clears throat> of not being good at something or being too impetuous. Or like I shared with my friends here when I said, well, what would people say about me? What would my friends and family say about me? I, one of the things that they would declare, I think it did declare for me, was you're just too sensitive. You're oversensitive. That's a negative. That's not a positive. The truth is I'm extremely sensitive. I'm extremely sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I'm extremely sensitive to the atmosphere. I'm extremely sensitive to people's hurts and wounds and needs. I'm extremely sensitive, and that's my design. It's not my downfall. Mm -hmm. And so most of us in our lives have this backstory. And what's been happening since the beginning of our first breath, the beginning of our time, is just like with Peter, the enemy has been trying to tell us this his story instead of us following along with God's story for us. This is so huge, my friends. Actually, this, this understanding who God says we are, and this is not like it's new that most of you guys have been here for very long, Oh, Robin, I never heard you talk about that because I'm going to talk about that ad nauseum till I'm blue in the face because guess what? I need to hear this. I need to be reminded what my story is. I need to be reminded what my identity is every single solitary day of my life. I need that reminder. And so I love Peter's story because Peter, who was the one who got it, was also the one who made some of the biggest blunders out there. 
Remember, Jesus said to him, Peter, this is what's going to happen. I'm warning you. I'm giving you a prophetic word. You are going to, before tonight is done, you're going to deny me three times. Uh-uh, no way, no how, Lord, that's never going to happen. I'm never going to do that. Peter, also the person that argued with Jesus to say, you know, don't, don't do this, don't do that. I mean, Peter was just like, he was, he was so bold. And guess what happened when Peter had the Holy Spirit came in Pentecost. His, he was always bold, but now his boldness was powered by the Holy Spirit. Not by his power anymore. So see, it's not like Jesus came and completely changed Peter from who he really was. What he did was he took who he really was and he, and he gave him the power to become exactly what he was always meant to be in the kingdom. That's what God wants to do in our lives. But because we have this enemy who is always trying to tell us that we're somebody that we're not, and the world that's always trying to tell us that we're never measuring up, there's a war on for our identity. And so Peter, we know what his story, we know that he said three times, I am not going to deny you, not going to deny you, not going to deny you, there's no way that's going to happen. And then we know that the rooster crows and Peter, boom, knows that he has just denied his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, so Peter could have lived in his backstory. He could have been, oh yeah, Peter, you're the rooster guy. You know, that could have been his nickname, you know. cock a doodle When people saw him, they could have done that to him, you know. Just like people do in our lives. You know, sometimes in our lives, people don't let us change. Sometimes our family doesn't let us change. Sometimes our old friends don't let us change. Sometimes our old neighbors don't let us change. Jesus got that right. When he, when he was doing ministry in Mark, I think it's 6, he goes, um, goes back to Galilee and, and he's like, gets ready to do... Um, all kinds of miracles. He's been doing all kinds of crazy miracles everywhere he goes. He can't perform hardly any miracles because the people that knew him were like, oh, that's just Joseph's son. That's just Mary's son. That's just the carpenter kid. That's who he is. See, the declarations over our lives that we carry from our past into our present can keep us from becoming all that God desires. He's always planned for us to be. And so we know that Jesus restores Peter. It's a beautiful scene. He comes, he meets Peter. Peter, you know, comes. There's a there's a fire started. He actually reenacts the miracle of all of the fish for Peter. Like I think he's showing him. You see, Peter, I still love you. You see, Peter, there's still abundance. You see, Peter, I'm still going to provide for you. I haven't stopped doing any of that just because. I mean, none of us have probably. Well, maybe we felt like that, but. Most of us probably don't feel like we could compare to have blown it to that magnitude with God. Mm -hmm. We might think we have. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty big deal. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus restores him. Restores him by declaring over his life, I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to feed my lambs. This is your ministry. This is what you're called to do. Your whole call in your life is to care and, and encourage and lift up and build up the believers. That's what his call is. And so then we know that after Pentecost, Peter, the same Peter that denied Jesus three times with a little servant girl in the dark by a fire, being totally afraid of what was going on in his circumstances, is the one who boldly comes out and tells all those same people that crucified Jesus that he was afraid of, hey, by the way, you are the ones that killed him. He was bold. He was courageous. He was now filled with the Holy Spirit. Transformation has taken place in his life. Mm-hmm. We've been studying the book of Acts. Louise mentioned that at church. And one of the things that has really caught my attention over and over again is this idea that when the Holy Spirit came in Acts at Pentecost, that the, sa- the signs that showed forth were boldness and courage mm-hmm. and witnessing. And what we believe to be true is that that was never supposed to wane. Boldness, courage, witnessing, that was never supposed to diminish. That was never supposed to go. That was just for Pentecost. 
That was just to build the church. Peter gives his first sermon, and 3,000 come into the body of Christ. That was just for them, so they can get this thing kickstarted. You know, we have Kickstarter. Well, that was like, you know, that was like Jerusalem Kickstarter. Yeah, that's why. Holy Spirit comes. He does all this stuff. Things are moving and shaking. And then that's going to win because, you know, then it's built, and, you know, everybody else take it from there on their own power. No, that was never, ever supposed to change. The identity of believers is still to be bold. Is still to be courageous and is still to be witnesses. That is who we are. That's our now story and our future story. And so I thought it was just good for us to think a little bit about this guy named Peter, who we know was so loved by the Lord, who was chosen to be this person who was going to help thrust the church forward, who made all kinds of mistakes, who did all kinds of crazy things. And yet, he wasn't perfect, and God said, but I'm using you because I know who you are. <coughs> See, the Lord knows who we are. He knows who he designed us to be. And our conflict on a day-to-day basis is whether we are going to embrace that or whether we will choose to embrace what the world says, what other, our family has said, even what the enemy says, even what we say. Do you know that the fruit of the Spirit is not shy? Mm-hmm. That's something, I remember my mom, you know, growing up, she's like, well, I was just always shy when I was young. Well, that was behavior, but that wasn't that identity. The fruit of the Spirit isn't bitterness. Well, I'm just somebody who has a short fuse, you know, anger is not the fruit of the Spirit. I'm just somebody who, um, <clears throat> you know, I just, I can't stick with anything, you know. I, whatever it is that you struggle with that's in your backstory that you keep bringing into today and into your future that doesn't sound like the fruit of the spirit you have the opportunity to leave that back there Mm -hmm. we know peter did that we know peter did that now i'm not saying i have no idea whether the enemy ever kind of tried to sneak in a yeah but remember peter this is who you are remember how you did denied Jesus. I, I, I have a feeling that when you come face to face with Christ and he says, no, 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 this is your commission. This is what I want you to do. You're still my guy. I love you, Peter. Peter, Jesus never told him those things to shame him. He told him those things to prepare him. When prophetic words come into our life, it's to prepare us. It's to help us understand what's coming and that we can at that moment say, oh, I was warned about this. I don't have to do this. But even if we do, we know that God is the restorer, and he's the redeemer, and he's the repairer. He is the re-God. And no matter what you've done, and no matter what's been done to you, and some of our stories, our backstories are lovely. No, they were, they are sweet and wonderful and happy. And some of us, are tr- they're tragic. And they're full of hurt and pain and wounding. And I think for most of us, they're a mixture of both. But if we keep going back to the backstory and pulling it into the present or looking at it through the lens of our future, we are never going to be who God has declared that we are. And then we are going to not be living in this living hope that he has prepared for us. How do we do that? Well, first of all, we ask the Lord to give us words about ourselves. You know, maybe you came up with three words that people would say about you. You can have a hard time coming up with the words from your backstory. <clears throat> Sometimes we need to ask the Lord to give us the words for the present and the future. Now, the word, the Bible itself, has lots of words for us. You're the redeemed. You're a holy priesthood. You're set apart. I mean, all kinds of good words. You're a friend of God. These are the things that we sing about in church on Sundays. You're my anointed. You're my favorite. You're the apple of my eye. All kinds. If you want to know, like, who am I? I mean, there's all kinds of places you can find out where you are, and you can just read it over and over and over and over and over and over. And you need to read it over and over and over because if you don't, what happens is what you focus on is what you will believe. None of us, none of us end up 
where we are doing what we do if we haven't first conceived of it and believed of it. I was talking to a neighbor of mine and she was sharing that she does home health and she was saying that she was working with an individual, a person who is very, very sick and can't, like, is not ambulatory, can hardly get from, like, bed to the bathroom to do anything because I'm an excessive uh, weight on her body. And um, she was telling me kind of the story a little bit about her that she kind of goes from, oh, thank you so much, to, like, rage and anger. And I said, you know, what's going on, and this isn't always true, but what's going on in, in our physical often is a picture of, What's going on in our emotional and spiritual for these trying people? You know, and, and nobody just gets to that place of complete bitterness or anger or rage or blame without first conceiving of it over and over and over and over in our mind. We, don't, we aren't just judgmental. It's not just a random thing we do. It's because we conceive of it over and over and over in our mind. But the choice is that we can conceive of the hope that we have. We can conceive of the identity that we have. We can agree with what God has said about us. This is good news. See, one of the reasons I think it's really difficult for us to witness about God is because I don't know, you know, sometimes it's like, well, what am I going to tell somebody about him except for the script that I've been taught that's all we want to tell people about Jesus. We want to tell people about the experience that we've had. I want to tell people about the hope that is inside me. That's the word says says that. It says, be ready in season and out of season. Be ready all the time to be able to tell people about the hope that is in you. The hope is not a feeling. The hope is a person. The hope is Jesus Christ. And if we're not experiencing Jesus Christ in our life. If this is just theory for us, if it's just theory, and we don't know on a daily basis or a weekly basis or hopefully every couple of weeks or a monthly basis that Jesus is real and he's operating and he's moving, that Holy Spirit is living and alive in me, that Holy Spirit is my comforter, Holy Spirit is my teacher, that the word has, it never returns void. If we aren't experiencing any of that, then we want to step back and say, Lord, why is that? Because guess what? It's always been his desire that we would experience him. And I'm not talking about everything is just supposed to be experiential. Like, oh, you know, like big <clears throat> out there, like kaboom, you know, every minute of every day is like this supernatural high. I'm not talking about that. But I'll tell you what, every time Michael comes through the door at night, my husband, I experience him. Hi, how was your day? I give him a hug, you know. I give him a kiss. We sit, have dinner together. We tell stories. We laugh. Sometimes we, we're, we're wrestling with things. We go for walks together. There is actual physical experience, emotional experience, and spiritual experience with this human relationship that I'm in with the person that I'm married to. When I go hang out with a friend, I want to experience them. I want to know what's going on in their life. Not because I'm nosy. I love them. I'm like, I want to know what's happening in your heart. How can I love you? How can I walk with you? How can I encourage you? I, that's, a, that's the reason I ask. I never ask like, oh, good, I just want to get all the dirt on your life. No, I, I don't care about that. I want to know I want because I care. I want to experience. I want my heart to connect with your heart. And I certainly want your heart to connect with my heart. I want you to experience me. I want you to care about me. Why would it be any less with our God? Why would it be any less? Mm -hmm. Then he is real and wants us to experience him. Mm -hmm. And that is why he came to earth. And that is why Peter had the backstory that he had. And that's why he had the present story that he had. And that's why he had the future story that he had. Because he was experiencing a living God, the living God. Not a dead God in a tomb somewhere. All other religions, all other leaders, all other people, they're all dead buried in a tomb somewhere. We worship the living God. And that's why we have a living hope. 
I just saw this thing, you know, how Facebook is and how stuff goes viral. And there was this picture. I don't even know if it's true because there's so much fake news. But the premise of it is true. And there was this pastor, this picture that people are sending around. This young pastor, he probably looks like he's in his 30s, handsome, beautiful family. You know, they look like they should be in a picture frame. Three beautiful children, you know, out in a field somewhere. Some photographer took this gorgeous picture, if this is really a family or not. And the, the caption basically was that this pastor, this young pastor, just within the last few days, took his life. And kind of people are sending it out saying, pray for your pastors, you know, pray for the people who are ministering to you, you know, care about them because they struggle. Because depression is real. And depression is real. It's real. It's not a get over it kind of thing. It's real. And, and I think about that and I go... You know, we, we, we look at those things, and, and we read those things, and we take those things in, and it's like we have a God who wants to enter into that with us. That's why relationships are so important. Do you know what, what made Peter part of this inner circle with Jesus was this tight-knit relationship that he had with Jesus? I think Jesus, I think Jesus probably sometimes just went, Peter, 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 Peter. <laughs> but he loved him but Peter because he knew he always saw who he was not just who he was acting like I want you that to sink into our heads tonight when Jesus looks at us and maybe we grew up in a household where people were like oh, oh, oh. where the disdain or the disappointment you know, was on the face maybe we did that I get that. And so then we begin to identify with that as though that is who we are. And then what we do is then we take that and we, we layer that over our God. And we think that the way my parents or my leaders or other people in authority over my life did the, oh, Robin, 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 Robin. That I think that's how God looks at me. Oh, look at your backstory. Oh, my word. Why didn't you do better at this? Why didn't you try harder at that? Why didn't you? Why didn't you? You shoulda, you woulda, you coulda. Those are the, some of the most poisonous words in the universe. <laughs> but, but that's not who we are. We have a God who is a living, breathing hope. And Peter got this. And I think sometimes when we've had huge failures or we've had huge things happen in our lives and we go back to Jesus and we're like, you love me. He does. He doesn't change his mind about us. Mm -hmm. But the problem is we don't agree with him. Mm -hmm. It'd be like your kid coming home and you're like, they're telling you all of the things that they did, all the horrific choices they made, and, you, and you're like, I still love you. You are my child. I will never stop loving you. I don't have to like your choices, by the way. This is not this is not about going, it's okay, I love you. You don't know. No, I'm not talking about that. <laughs> That's not being a good parent, by the way. It's not being a loving parent, by the way, to just go, well, whatever. No. But I love you. I don't think there I don't know. I'm human, but I don't think there's anything my children could ever say. I certainly know there's nothing my grandchildren could ever say. <laughs> That would make me go, oh, I'm done with you. No, I may have put boundaries on. I'm not talking about that. But, like, I love you. My heart breaks thinking about you and choices and what I want for you and what I always desire for you. See, here's the thing. When a baby is born, I think it's very, very rare. I, I, it has to be so minuscule. That any mama ever would think, well, too bad for them because they're just going to have a crappy life. Even if that mama's life is a terrible life, they look at that baby with all the hope in the world. Oh my gosh, my life may be terrible, but I believe great things for you. I can see great things for you. I believe that you are going to soar past me. That's my desire. That's my hope. That's just how we're made. So take us and think about who God says we are and our backstory. And my encouragement to us tonight would be to be like Peter and stand before the Lord and realize that he said, 
be my sheep, be my sheep, be my lambs. In other words, you're forgiven, you're forgiven, you're forgiven. Here's your task, here's your task, here's your task. Here's your call, here's your identity. Here's who you've always been. I know that, I see that in you, I love you. And because Peter received that, he could go on to be who he was created to be. This is the dangerous part of the story. If I believe the backstory more than I believe the future story, I will never be able to live out the future that God has. I will never fully live out the future that God has. See, because what I believe about myself is what I become. It's just so powerful. The way I think. This is how I know that Peter was able to receive forgiveness. See, it's a choice. I receive it. God gives it. It's lavish. He's, he's been giving it since the moment that he went to the cross. That's what he wanted for us was to wipe it clean, buy it all back, give it back to us, and say, go back and do what I originally intended for you to do all along. It's what he did with Peter. He didn't skip a beat. He didn't go, well, you know what, Peter, now you got to kind of prove yourself. I, you know what, I might have made kind of a mistake about what I called you, Peter. Maybe you're really not a rock. Maybe you're more like a little pebble. Maybe you're some gravel. Maybe you're a little pot of dirt. I don't know, but I must have made a mistake because look at how you acted. He never did that with Peter. And he doesn't ever do it with us. I don't know about you, but I need to hear that. He never does that with us. He never is shaking his finger. He's never disappointed in that. He's like, oh, you're just a failure. Everything I dreamt for you, you're just a complete and utter disappointment. He didn't do that with Peter. He doesn't do that with us. I'm not saying we can't grieve the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying we can't sin. We do. We don't have to sin. We can now say no to sin, but we still have the capacity if we choose to, to say yes to sin. And sin does have consequences. I'm not saying that. I'm not one of those people who's saying, oh, there's just no sin, and you know, you can do whatever you want, whatever makes you feel good. I don't mean that. Sin, sin hurts people. Sin wrecks, sin wrecks lives. Going outside of God's boundaries has consequences, not because he's mean, but because there just are consequences. There are cause and effect things in life. If you say to a child, don't put your finger in the light socket, and they put their finger in the light socket, you don't say to that parent, you're an awful parent. You're a terrible parent. I can't believe you punished your child like that. That was that child's choice. We have a choice. But I don't go, I go, oh my gosh, are you okay? I don't go, oh, you're a terrible, awful child. Most people, most parents wouldn't be doing that. I know it maybe sounds like I'm saying something over and over and over and over, and I am, because this is really hard for us to get. Not for everybody. Maybe some of us are down that road a lot further. But I would say that most of us still wrestle with, uh, I got to please people, or I got to prove myself, or whatever it is. There's stuff in there, right? There's just stuff. I was telling... Um, our friends at church on Sunday that we just got this um, water filter thing. It's called a Berkey. And um, it was a huge investment, but I um, went to the doctor today because I've been just really struggling with feeling like I'm not feeling like myself. I don't have the energy that I think I'm supposed to have. Everything I eat bothers me no matter what it is. Louise gave me a bite of her dinner tonight. I took one bite, my throat started to close up. I was like, I could hardly swallow it. It hurt in my stomach when I you know, it down. It's just like, it's just like that with everything just randomly. I have no idea when it's going to happen or how it's going to happen. Can't lose weight to save my life. Just, you know, I can eat a ton. I can eat nothing, whatever. It's just like, whatever. So sometimes I just give up. Like, I don't care because, okay, if all I can eat today is this uh, piece of chocolate, it's like I'm starving. I'll eat the piece of chocolate. It's the only thing that doesn't torture me. But so I went to the doctor today and all this, they did this hair analysis, and they did this blood work, and we've been trying to just do things to detox because there's a lot of toxins, we know that, but our bodies are made to detox. God knew that, and we have livers, and we have kidneys, and we have 
lungs, all that stuff is made to detox and keep us safe until it gets overloaded and it can't. It's kind of like when your AC filter, there's a lot of dust and you don't change it, you don't change it, you don't change it, and you're like, gosh, there's not very good airflow in my house anymore. And you go in and you know the dirt's like thick like that. It's like, hello, you know, you gotta like put in something new because it's taking all the dirt out, it's doing what it's supposed to do, but if it can't cleanse, it's not gonna be healthy. So Anyways, I go and I get this blood work back and the hair analysis back and and, um, uh, and and the doctor, he's just the sweetest guy. I've known him for like 35 years and the reason I went is because my sister-in-law had some really great results. She's had some 20 years of health issues that everybody where she's been and everything she's done, nothing's happened. And so I thought, well, it's kind of my last ditch effort. I've done, I don't know what else to do. So I go and he does this analysis and there's three colors. There's yellow, which means you got some issues going on. There's red, which means this is not good. And there's blue, which means the way he puts it, your tires have fallen over the edge and they're going into the Grand Canyon. I had a lot of blue. I was shocked how much blue I had. And he said, Robin, I just want you to know, it's amazing how well you're doing, how well your kidneys and how well um, your um, liver's functioning because he said, you are in the top 10% of the most toxic people that I've treated in my entire practice. I'm like, well, at least it at least it validates what I thought. This is what I thought. I thought my body's toxic and it can't do what it's supposed to do and it wants to do what it's supposed to do. And he told me all these things like he goes, you have really high calcium and magnesium in your body. That's not necessarily a good thing. That's not like, yay, you, you're not going to have you know any problem with osteoporosis. Oh no. What it means is your body is the calcium and magnesium is being leached out of your body to try to like absorb the toxins. And so it's like coming through in other ways. Your body's like trying to say, heal me. Like I got to protect you. I got to fix this. This is what happens when we keep dragging the backstory into the present. It's toxic. When we drink water, it's frightening what's in it. You know, I bought this thing because it's like, well, you are high in arsenic, you're high in lead, you're high, I mean, stuff you're not supposed to be high in. Stuff that's not good for your brain, stuff that's not good for your body, stuff that's not good for your heart, stuff that's not good for your future. And the reason I wanted to focus, I really felt like the Lord said to focus on this idea of your story tonight and Peter's story tonight was because, my friends, Many of us are living inside a spiritually toxic environment in our minds and our hearts and our souls because we keep believing the PR that the evil one in the world is telling us. And he said, probably one of the reasons that you're doing as well as you're doing is because you've started to take some steps like, you know, like trying to cut out a lot of sugar, and we just put in a, a faucet in the shower that filters out because when you, our water has tons of chlorine in it, and when it gets hot, it gets heated up, and then it's going not only going onto your skin, it's also going into your lungs, you know, all this stuff that not to be freaked out and afraid of, but more of like going, my body needs this help right now. Mm -hmm. Like somebody else's body, they can do it and they're fine, but my body has got to get some help right now. Or it's going to be bad stuff down there. It's going to be bad stuff down the road. So, Peter could have stayed in that place where he just thought, you know, this is my identity now. I'm the loser who denied Jesus. I'm the one who was supposed to be the rock. I'm the one who was supposed to have a living hope. But I blew it. No matter what Jesus said, I'm not believing him. That's how we can respond to our living God. But we know that he didn't because he tells us in verse 1, chapter 1, from Peter, an apostle of Jesus, the anointed one, to the chosen ones who have been scattered abroad like seed. See, he's writing to people who are actually modern-day refugees. You know when you see on the news people who are fleeing their countries because there's horrific things that are happening where they live. We see it. And some of us, our hearts just break, and you're like, I don't know what to do, and it just feels so overwhelming to see. It's happening around the world right now. These are the people he's writing to about hope. Who do you think needs to hear about hope? I mean, we all need to hear about hope, right? We all need to hear about hope. 
But these people needed to hear about hope. But so do we. Because here's the deal. We're all hoping in something. Hope is this it, hope is this belief in something that you don't yet see, right? I don't see it yet, but I believe in it. And sometimes we think, okay, hope is only like a positive word. Like I'm believing in something really good. But how about when you get the letter in the mail and it's like, oh, okay, I don't want to open that. I'm afraid to open that. I'm afraid because of what I'm believing. What I, what I begin declaring and actually begin putting my hope in is a circumstance that has maybe happened before that brings me fear, that brings me worry or guilt or you know, or the kid doesn't call when they're supposed to call, and then your mind starts whirling out of control. That you're 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 placing your belief system, or really even your hope, in fear and panic and worry. Do you, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So we are hoping in something. Mm-hmm. Who we get to hope in is Jesus Christ, because. No matter what my circumstances are, if I go back to hoping in Him and Him alone, it's everything else shifts perspective. It's like what's in the foreground goes to the background. Not that we don't acknowledge it, not that there aren't needs, but it's not what I'm focusing on. See, I can choose that I'm focusing on my problem, or I can choose to focus on the promise. That's a choice, and it takes intentionality for all of us. And sometimes there's days I lose. That doesn't make me lose. I just lose because I choose to focus on the problem. Not for very long anymore, not for long, long days, maybe moments, maybe hours, maybe even someday I'll have a whole day. But not like I used to, where I just would be consumed by it because I didn't know I had any other choice. He said, you're scattered like seed into the nations, living as refugees. This is from the Passion. But I love that he says, you're the chosen one. See, he starts out by reminding them, this is your identity. This is who you are. That's how we always have to start with Jesus. I have to come to Jesus being reminded who he is and who I am. It's the whole point. And then he says, he talks about them that they're living in. Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, throughout the Roman provinces of Asia and Bithynia, you are not forgotten. See, when you feel like a refugee, when you feel isolated, whether you literally are a physical refugee, or whether you just feel like a refugee in this world because you feel like you're so different. See, if we do that thing I said, which is where we're bold, and we're courageous, and we're a witness, Sometimes we might end up feeling a little isolated and a little bit like refugees in this land. If everybody likes us and nobody ever gets bugged at anything we say, I'm not saying we go out to just try to be intentionally offensive. That's not the point. But if we tiptoe and we're trying to make everybody happy and we never say truth to anyone, we're never a truth witness to anyone, we have lost who we're called to be, my friends. And he says, you're not forgotten. I know you're scattered. I know you may feel isolated. I know you may feel like you're the only person in the world who is standing up for me. I felt like that in my life before. I've been in places before where I'm like, I mean, I'm talking about with other Christians, where I feel like I'm the only person I feel like is standing up for like listening to the Holy Spirit, seeking Holy Spirit. What does the word say? Prayer, like solitude, get away and listen. It's like, no, let's just do what business says is right. Uh, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. You're the weirdo in the room. Mm-hmm. And the weirdo a lot of times in the room. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit has set you apart to be God's holy ones, obedient followers of Jesus Christ who have been gloriously Sprinkled with his blood, may God's delightful grace and peace cascade over you many times over. I love that, cascade over you many times over. And this is what he tells them to do, and this is where I'm going to end. In verse 3, celebrate with praise as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has shown us his extravagant mercy. For his fountain of mercy has given us a new life. We are reborn to experience a living energetic hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So he knows that they're refugees. He knows that they could begin believing their backstory. 
He knows that they're in places where they, because they're refugees, because they have stood up for their faith. They have been bold. They've been witnesses. They've been pushed out of their jobs. They've been pushed out of their homes. They've been, I mean, come on, think about it for a minute. We're super comfortable. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I would for sure follow Jesus if I had to give mm-hmm. up my home and give up my job and give up my bank account and give up my health and give up my safety. I would for sure follow Jesus. <coughs> Well, I think in his power and strength, you absolutely for sure could. But some of us are afraid to be bold with the cashier at Fry's. Can you imagine if a whole big troop of people came in and said, huh? See, what Peter wants us to understand is this living hope that we have. There's nothing to compare with it. Once we start getting this, that there's nothing more that we'll ever want, and there's nothing else that could ever even ever even satisfy us. And that happens by relationship, day by day, moment by moment with him. <coughs> See, right now, a lot of stuff satisfies us. Chocolate satisfies us sometimes. Sugar satisfies us sometimes. Money, going out and buying things satisfies us. Entertainment can satisfy us. <coughs> Gossip can satisfy us. Complaining can satisfy us. I mean, I don't know, fill in your own blank. What can satisfy you? But do we not want to get to the point where our living hope is Jesus Christ to the point that everything else will pale? And the way that that begins happening is that we begin, we stop looking back at our backstory. We start looking forward to our future. Who am I, Lord? What am I called to do? Where where am I called to, to... Operate in the kingdom. What are my gifts? You know what? Everybody knows something. (laughs) Like, sometimes I will ask people, you know, pray for what you think you need to be doing, where you need to be doing it, how you need to be doing it. And and I think sometimes we make it just way too complicated. Sometimes Mm -hmm. all we have to do is look around the room and go, well, that needs to get done, so I'll just Mm -hmm. go do that. (laughs) And then as I do that, then the next thing will happen, and it'll, it'll unfurl. We have a call in this kingdom. We are not spectators with Jesus Christ. He's just not an add-on. I mean, he can be if you try to make him, but he's not. You can do your life that way, but he's not. You'll never be satisfied with your present and your future. That's why you keep running to the backstory. The good old days. Didn't even talk about that part of the backstory. Peter wants us to understand we have a living hope. We have been reborn. I'm not going to talk about that too much more, but I just want you to be aware. Like New birth has happened. That's not a theory. It is a reality. If you still look totally like you did, <laughs> we didn't know what Holly would look like. We kind of guessed. You know, we kind of some of us thought dark hair. She could have been blonde. She could have been dark hair. We didn't know the combination of brown eyes. She could have blue eyes. Figured she'd probably be a little peanut because they tend to be tiny on our side of the family mm-hmm. like that. And um, We didn't know, but when she was born, then we saw her, and it was like, oh, there you are. That's what you look like. You're born. <laughs> we are to be born again. We are born again. That means brand spanking new. They don't put old babies in and pull them out. No, it's like a new one created from scratch. That's how it works. We're new. We're new creations. Stop believing your backstory. Stop living out of your backstory. Stop living out of defeat and discouragement and despair. Live in your present living hope in Jesus Christ. See, because when I do that, other people notice. I want them to notice more. Not because I'm the weirdo, but because... God's love is oozing out of my life because peace is oozing out of my life because joy is oozing out of my life because hope is oozing out of my life because people are like confused like how can you how can you be okay right now 
Not because I'm like managing my emotions and pushing them down, but literally because the living hope is living in me and you. We have some family that doesn't know Christ yet. Mm-hmm. No, that's my whole desire. They want them to know Jesus. I want them to know Jesus. And when we were younger and they were younger and our kids were younger, you know, I don't think there was just a whole lot that they saw. They kind of thought we were the weirdos. We're the people that didn't have alcohol in our house. And I'm not going to argue whether that's a pro or con, but we were youth pastors and we did not have alcohol in our house because we just felt like that was a time that we could say, we don't need that around. We don't want that in our house. I don't have any problem with that. I'm not getting into a theological debate about alcohol. I'm just giving you the example. That was our season. But those, that's who we were. We were those weird people. We were we, you know, the weird people that didn't do this. And we were the weird people that didn't do that. And, you know, some of it was just that we were young and we didn't know. And we were probably a little legalistic about certain things because we were first-generation believers. And we were just trying to do what we thought we were supposed to do and raise our kids the way we thought we were supposed to raise them. And, and, and by and far, there were people that were, like, more legalistic than us. So we thought we were kind of in the middle somewhere. At least, you know, we're, like, not too crazy, but we're kind of crazy. But as our kids grew, and they became adults, and they got married, and one of them had children, and they started watching because their kids grew, and their kids were starting to leave, and their kids were starting to emerge. They started watching, and I just, I got a couple texts in the last year that was like a big deal, that was just like, you know, you have amazing kids. You guys did a great job. That was a witness. (laughs) It wasn't that we're perfect. We, we know you can screw your kids up and, and or they can be amazing and you can't take credit for either one of them. Like, you know, you, there's things you can do, but you can't take all the credit for either one, whether they're amazing or whether they're not. You know, they're still people and they make their own choices. So I'm not saying, you know what I'm saying. Um, not trying to heap any guilt on any of us or, or make anybody feel prideful. But, but it's the, like, people are looking, like, when they hit a point where it's like, I'm looking for answers. And they're like, why do you have peace? And then I got to start getting into these conversations about depression because being a person who, as I call myself, is a depression survivor because I literally am a survivor. By the way, I am a survivor. Because there's a lot of people that don't survive depression. Sure. And I am a survivor. Mm-hmm. And I'm proud that the Lord, and not proud like I'm so cool, but so thankful that mm-hmm. the Lord allowed me to have and be here today. Mm-hmm. But they're struggling with these things in their lives now. And they don't have Jesus. And so I can say, oh man, I know what that feels like. And I understand what that feels like. And I can, I'm being able to open up the door and witness to the hope that is in Christ in me. This is what we're called to do with our identity, our present and our future, not our past. Because you know what? If I was living my backstory every day, I would be on on the floor in a puddle. I just would be. Because there's enough stuff that I could go, especially as also not only a depression survivor, but a recovering perfectionist. Like, I could be like, here's the list, you know, like, oh my gosh, I'm going to do that all right now. I'm not perfect enough. You know, I lived that one for a long time. Oh, thank, thank the Lord. Thank God for freedom. Mm-hmm. And our future story, our present story in Christ, the hope. So what I hope we walk away with, I'm circling back around, is that we understand our identity, not just understand it, but we begin really actually living it out to the point that people go, you don't just talk a good talk. Mm-hmm. There's enough of that out there, my <laughs> friends. There's so much of that out there. You know, I, I have people I talk to and they talk about, oh, they're witnessing for Jesus. And I'm like, yeah, that's so great, but oh, yeah, well, I'm not going to go through the list of, <laughs> of the but. You know, it's like, oh, okay, but what does that mean? Like, I want people to just see love. I am not perfect at that. (laughs) But I don't have to be. Because I just have to try to get out of the way and say, Lord, live through me. So last story. You know us. We love Disneyland. (laughs) Hardly can get by without a Disneyland story. And we went to Disneyland for our anniversary. And um, 
last week we were there, our anniversary was the 21st, and we were married 37 years, and we've known each other um, for 41 years. I mean, we just, you know, were infants when we started, literally, I was 17, and it's like, I've known you all my life, I've known you longer than, you know, pretty much almost anyone in my life, and, um, and we still like to be together, and I feel like that's a witness mm-hmm. to the Lord, because mm-hmm. it's certainly not us. Mm-hmm just left to ourselves and our selfishness and all of that. It's the Lord. So we, I have, you know, anybody else have bucket lists? I'm a bucket list. I'm a list maker. I'm a dream maker. I'm a, you know, I want to do this and that and try that. So one of the things on my bucket list, even though we've had passes several times to Disneyland, is that when we have passes someday, I want to go and stay at the Grand Californian. Now, we're always at the Grand Californian, and if you don't know where that is in Disneyland, it's just this beautiful... Um, resort that's part of Disneyland properties, and we always go there, and we just sit like we're like you know those people. We're like the you know those people who just go and like take care, like take on to the the services, but we don't really pay for it. But um, so we're the we're the commoners. That's what I always tell Michael. We're the commoners. We're here in the in the sitting in the soft chair. We're the commoners. So um, Michael surprised me because we had this um, sweet connection to get a discount because it's absurdly, insanely expensive. It's just dumb how expensive it is. But it's like it's a bucket list thing. We just want to do it in our lifetime while we have passes. And so he said, we're doing it. So I'm like, yay. So we go. We go to Disneyland. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I love everything about this. <laughs> like, now I'm spoiled for life. I'm like, I never want to stay in another hotel my entire life. See, I think this is what it's supposed to be when we start understanding the living hope. Mm-hmm. Like, now I'm spoiled for life. I never want to go back to not living like that. Mm-hmm. And, like, we get to, in the morning, you get to get into this fun little spot and walk right into the California Adventure. And now we have this Max Pass thing where you just can sit anywhere in the world and just, like, get fast passes. And you're like, oh, my gosh, this is so fun. I would never go to Disneyland. I would never, we never wait in lines. We're, like, total Disney snobs. Like, oh, the line's 15 minutes. We're not waiting. You know, I mean, that's just who we are. We're just like, no, that's too long. So, because we just know how to work the system. um, So we just work the system. So we're riding on this Cars ride. Anybody know the Cars movie? And, you know, they have that whole town that looks exactly like you're stepping in the movie. So we get on this Cars ride, and it's always an insane wait. Like, even the Fast Pass is, you know, usually waiting 20 minutes or whatever, but... Um, it's usually like two hours, two and a half hours. I'm like, oh my gosh, they're waiting two hours for a five-second ride. But they do it. And so they have this thing where you can go single rider on some of the rides in Disneyland. And, you know, if you've ridden the ride, and you, you know, it's fun to sit next to your honey, but it's like, I just want to ride the ride, and I don't really talk to you anyway, so, like, we'll go single rider. So you get in the single rider ride because it's way faster. So Michael and I get in, and we, we're two, and so somebody single rider comes and sits next to us, and it's this adorable and don't take this as an ethnic slur i just want you to know how cute she is because i've always wanted an asian baby or a little african-american baby i'm like somebody please give me one of those i just want one in my family i have dreams about that you know i just want one i just think asian people are beautiful african-american people are beautiful i just think they're beautiful and so um anyways so this beautiful young asian girl sits next to us she's in like pink from head to toe and she's just happy mm. and she's single riding with my boyfriend husband somebody because he's behind her he gets in she's in front and the other waiting at each other and now we're <laughs> buckling in or going through the line and um she's just happy mm. like the whole time she's just happy and i cannot michael and i can't stop looking at her because we're just like we're just wanting to watch you ride this ride because you are so incredibly cute like cute overload you know she's probably like 25 or i don't know she could be 40 because beautiful asian women can be like 45 and they can look like they're 20 but whatever she is she looks young and as she's riding the ride she gets so excited she takes her little hands up by her face and she starts coughing. <laughs> and, you know, and her face is like in a bust. I mean, she's so cute. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Michael and I are just like, she's so cute. <laughs> and I get off the ride and I just look at him and I'm like, that is the joy we are supposed to have because of the living hope that is in us. Mm-hmm. That's the joy. She exuded the joy. We couldn't keep our eyes off the joy. 
no matter how like much we wanted to try to be sophisticated and look forward, we just kept looking at the joke. Because <laughs> it was just contagious, my friend. I'm not talking about fake happiness. I'm talking about just knowing who we are, knowing who he is, and knowing what's ahead of us, that we can turn from any situation, no matter what it is, praise and thanksgiving and it will take our head back to the focus on our living hope. So my my encouragement to you tonight would be, you know, what are you hoping for? And I would like to encourage you to be, be change that to start hoping in. See there's a lot of things we're hoping for. I hope this changes, I hope that changes, I hope this works out. Shift your hoping for to hoping in. And then I think you will be like that beautiful young lady who joy will just be exuding because my hope is in Christ, in Christ alone. And I don't know, but I pretty much believe that if we do that, everything will shift and people will not be able to take their eyes off. Jesus, thank you so much for these beautiful ladies. Thank you for these friends, new friends, old friends, this new season to be with you. Thank you for Peter. Thank you for how much he was able to show us by being somebody who just went for it and messed up and wasn't about trying to be perfect, but just was just passionate, Lord, and how you channeled that passion into passion for witnessing, for boldness, for courage. Lord, I pray anointing over these friends right now. I declare in the name of Jesus boldness, courage, uh, just a compulsion to share the hope that is in them. Lord, wherever they go, that you would give them opportunity every single day, that it would knock on their door, that it would present its face, that they couldn't hold it back, that they would just have to say, I am so excited to share with you the hope that is in with me the living hope that is within me. I pray blessings and favor on their lives. Lord, I pray that you would give them dreams tonight about who they are and what you say about them and how you love them and what you have planned for them in the, their future because your thoughts are as many as the grain of sands on the seashore. I just never stop thinking good things about them. I pray that they would know that and experience that and share that. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen.